Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? I hope you're ready because we are going there today. Our topic is hormones, libido, and sex. So buckle up, buttercup. Listen, Christians need a good libido and sex life too, you know. And I think this is something we don't talk about enough, even though one of the top hormonal concerns I hear from women is that they have no libido and no interest in sex. God created man and woman to be fruitful and multiply. He made it pleasurable so that we would want to be intimate. And it's an incredibly important part of a healthy relationship. There are few bigger wedges in a marriage than the sex one, or maybe lack of sex one is a more accurate way to put it. So for this topic, y'all, I had to pull out the big guns. I reached out to an expert, the expert on this subject. He has written over 20 books. He is the author of the most well-known and trusted relationship book of all time. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. His most recent book is called Beyond Mars and Venus, Relationship Skills for Our Complex Modern World. He has a very interesting approach to hormones that we're going to talk about today. He's been on Oprah, The Dr. Oz Show, all major media outlets, and now he is here with us, and I am just so beyond excited. I'm talking, of course, about none other than Dr. John Gray, and I'm honored that he's here to share his expertise. Welcome, Dr. Gray, to the Christian Health Club podcast. Well, thank you so much. Very happy to be with you. Yes. Well, I heard you um, recently, I've heard you on several biohacking um, podcasts talking about hormones in a way that I've never heard anybody talk about them before. You know, as a nutritionist, um, you know, I can advise people on diet and gut health and supplements, as I know that you, you know, have covered all those things over the years as well. Um, but this is a really different way of looking at hormones, looking at hormones, um, being able to manipulate, make hormones by our mindset, by our behaviors. And so I would love for you to talk about how, um, your study, how you came to this. I've heard you say it took you a long time, uh, many, many years to um, kind of figure all this out, put all this information together. So um, why don't you just take it away and and give us your, um, your expertise here? Well, I'm very happy to. I'll lay the groundwork for what we're going to talk about. And then uh, I appreciate you asking me questions to guide me where you want me to go. I want to mention that many of the ideas I'll be sharing today are in my book, Beyond Mars and Venus. That's the that's men are from Mars, women are from Venus, updated with an amazing amount of bio, biological, biochemical validation of everything I said in that book and helping us to understand some of our new challenges as the world has changed. But a lot of the things when we talk about sex, I go into much greater detail in a class I teach online called Secrets of Great Sex. And I also have a book called Mars, Venus in the Bedroom. 
Now, I wrote that book, Mars Venus in the Bedroom, because it's a fun book to read and couples can read it together. Uh, you just read one chapter at a time and you kind of, when when something, I say something that relates to you, kind of go, ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's good. Because <laughs> see, a lot of couples have challenges when it comes to talking about what you want and what you like in bed. And yet, how are we supposed to know, <laughs> particularly a man that has no idea what it's like to have a woman's body and a woman like a man. So what are the things that we need to learn about each other? And we'll explore some of that today. But the foundation of what I'm going to share that you beautifully said in the introduction is that uh, this is a whole new way of looking at our differences as men and women. Uh, it was discovered about 20 years ago that our brains are, are like, they call it brain plasticity, that the programming that we got when we were little children, psychology always thought you really can't change that. But actually with certain thoughts and behaviors consistently repeated over time, you can actually change the brain wiring. Uh, and that's very important. For example, a stroke victim who a part of the brain dies uh, due to oxygen deprivation and they can't move their right arm. Well, now they can reprogram the brain uh, so that you can use your right arm again just by repeating certain tasks to, to grow new neural pathways in the brain. Well, what I've done is something similar, but rather than focus on changing the brain, although it does change the brain in a positive way, looking at how our thoughts and our attitudes and particularly our behaviors can stimulate male hormones versus female hormones. Now, nobody's ever talked about that before. And yet it's one of those, uh, like a elephant in the room. It's like right there. We all know while there's raging deba debates going on in the world, there always is about how are men and women really that different and what is our identity? Uh, yes, we are really, really more different than we can imagine. And it's really not understanding those differences that creates conflict. Just coming here today for this interview, I heard a nice quote, which is greatly misinterpreted. And the quote was, peace is not the absence of conflict, but conflict is the absence of I'm sorry, peace is the experience of oneness. But that limitation, it's, it's peace is the experience of oneness in diversity, in diversity. It's like when I hear my wife express herself, it's not the way I think or feel, but I can take some time to understand why she feels that way and find a relatedness in some way I can find that within myself. And that's the connectedness. That's the oneness in diversity. And that's our challenge in relationships. And it's what happens in relationships. We're not able to be free of conflict. What often occurs is that we stop feeling that oneness that we experienced in the beginning. We get, we start to push each other away rather than feel love, which is connection. It's a sense of oneness. I, you're part of me. I'm part of you. And, and it, certainly the commitment is what allows us to keep overcoming those hurdles when you're feeling resistance or resentment or rejection towards your partner how to come back, how to move back towards that. And, <clears throat> but a lot of people uh, don't realize that you could have all those wonderful Christian skills. I mean, to be, a, uh, I'm a Christian and making love your priority and giving your partner what you want to get and giving the support you'd like to receive, being generous and forgiving. These are like key relationship issues uh, that as a Christian, I think we're all good at. However, the world has changed. That's what we have to recognize. And the, the, the ground is different and we need, to, we need to till it in a different way. So think about this. Historically, women have never done a majority of their time doing traditional male jobs. 
We live in a culture that pushes women over to what I'll call your male side and really uh, inhibits the ability of women to be on their female side to a great extent. Now, what that means, as soon as you have a job, for example, to make money, you're on your male side. Now, how can I say male side? Well, now we get into the simple knowledge, which is readily available to anybody, that hormones are, are the result of certain activities. So if, if you are sacrificing your own comfort and ease, something you like to do in order to do something you have to do in order to earn money, that creates stress. And if you look at why there's stress in a woman's body, if she's doing that, is because when you do anything you have to do, sacrifice, I have to do this, that produces the hormone testosterone. And when you feel, I get to do something, I love to do this, I enjoy doing this, I have backup support for doing this, life at ease, you breathe easily, what's being produced in your body is estrogen. Now, the reason I bring up these hormones, testosterone and estrogen, is because they're highly significant and important to our well-being completely. If a woman is depressed or unhappy, her estrogen levels will always be low. There's no variation there. She's depressed, unhappy, or anxious. Her estrogen levels are low. There is a case where she could experience high anxiety if she has estrogen way too high. Now, that's a possibility. Any, any good thing in excess becomes a bad thing. Any good thing deficient of becomes a bad thing. So you have to find the right balance of estrogen for a woman at different times of her life because the right balance occurs at different stages of life and at every day of the month, which we'll begin to understand today. And the other major hormone is testosterone. And now testosterone, when it's low, it doesn't produce uh, depression in women at all. Testosterone low in men creates depression. Ironically, even anger irritation, annoyance, all those behaviors in men that we don't want to dwell in are symptoms of his body is not producing enough testosterone. Now, what produces testosterone, I gave you one example, is sacrifice for a noble cause. Soldier going off to battle produces a lot of testosterone because he could lose his life. Going off to your job, even though it's not an easy job, some days are difficult, some days you'd rather sleep in, you get up and you do it. That produces testosterone. But for men, in order to experience well-being, they need to have 10 times more testosterone in their body. For them to experience romantic feelings of attraction towards their partner, they need to have 20 times more testosterone. So literally, coming home to my wife in certain circumstances, certain situations, her presence can raise my testosterone up 20 times higher than hers. And that will create a strong attraction towards her. For a woman, her attraction to a man has been proven in studies and shown that when her estrogen levels double, which would be 20 times higher than a man's, when her estrogen levels double, uh, she will start feeling strong desire to have sex with the person who raised her estrogen. Now, what causes estrogen to go up is getting to do what you love to do, feeling safe, Feeling that you can depend on someone is a very powerful estrogen stimulator. That's why women need to feel inside themselves, I can trust my partner to be there for me. He's not going anywhere and I can be myself in his presence and I feel safe. These are key factors for women to, for their estrogen levels to go up. Now, relationships are not the only place, intimate relationships are not the only place for estrogen to go up. 
the estrogen goes up when you go visit a doctor because you're depending on the doctor to give you some information that will make you healthier or maybe even save your life, protect you in some way. Well, in that situation, your estrogen went really up. That's why you'll see in all the, the mythology of the knight in shining armor who rides his horse into danger, takes a big risk in order for a noble cause to protect the princess. And the princess feels, oh, I'm so lucky to have him in my life. He saved my life. It raises estrogen and they have a, a, a romantic moment. <laughs> Put it that way, the, the high estrogen. And it's not intended to be that high all the time. As a matter of fact, is up into the state for the five days prior to ovulation, that's the romantic window. Okay. And if you're beyond the, uh, the, the cycling stage in your life, you're beyond menopause, then it's generally about those five days before the full moon. That's when your body requires your estrogen levels to double. And as those estrogen levels are going up, they say, I, your sense of need to depend on someone increases. And if that person isn't there for you, it creates dramatic upset. If that person is there for you, it can create dramatic romantic feelings. So it's timing is very important and understanding that messages that a man gives to a woman can raise estrogen or lower estrogen. So what are those key messages? Well, one is that I care about you. You're a priority. You're more important than anybody else. Even when I come home and my little children come up to see, see, I'm saying grandpa, but when my children were young, they say, daddy, daddy, daddy. And I'd say to them, I'd say, where's your mom? I'd always go right to mom to show them mom was more important to me than them. Of course, children are so important to all of us, but you have to constantly show them that mom is more important. And likewise, my wife was very conscious and careful. And when I talk about my wife was, she she passed three years ago. So she's not present, but uh, we were married 34 years and, and have a beautiful family. So when I would prioritize her, that raises her estrogen. Anything a man does to prioritize a woman. That's why marriage was so sacred for a woman's happiness and for a man's success. Feeling successful is a major testosterone producer. So a woman's happiness is his wife. If he can make her happy, that's the highest level of success a man can experience. That's his testosterone going to the highest. That's romantic feelings towards his wife. And for her to go to those high levels of emotional fulfillment, which happens by that peak of estrogen, then what occurs at that peak of estrogen is she feels I can trust and depend on him. I'm a priority in his life. And that is wired into us biologically. There's an interesting phenomenon since we're talking about sex. And that is when a man is in a committed marriage, and we're going to talk about sex, we have to talk very graphically here. So when a man is in a committed marriage and he has sex with his wife, the chemical reaction in his body is different from when he has sex with himself or he has sex with a stranger or when he has sex with a pornography online. This is so fascinating is that basically the body knows the body basically knows through hormones. When a woman has high levels of hormones at feminine hormones, the estrogen one, when it doubles, she puts out a particular pheromone that raises a man's testosterone and a man whose testosterone goes up in her presence that he cares for her and his testosterone goes up in her presence. He will produce pheromones that will actually raise a woman's estrogen. Now, when we talk about women's libido, 
it's not enough just for estrogen to go up. Estrogen says I'm safe and I can trust and depend on you for what I need, for what's most important to me. That will raise your estrogen a lot at that time when it needs to go up. However, as the estrogen's going up, you can see the graphs. These are all in charts of when a woman ovulates, which is when her estrogen goes to the highest level for her body. At that time, uh, around that time, her testosterone levels will spike and go much higher for her. Not nearly as high as a man's, but for her, it's just a huge spike to a tiny, tiny bit to maybe 10 times more. That's a woman's libido. So from there, we conclude when a woman's estrogen levels go high, that's when she has this natural desire to have sex. Now, why does woman naturally desire to have sex in the beginning of a relationship and it goes away? Well, there's many reasons, but another one of those reasons is in the beginning of a relationship, there's a sense of newness. Okay. That sense of newness, and this is all well-known, well-documented, that creates the, the romantic honeymoon period. The newness is stimulates the brain chemical dopamine. A lot of things stimulate dopamine. A danger is really the major dopamine stimulator. Newness, ironically, is danger because we don't really know what's going to happen. So that place of not knowing is a bit of danger with it. Uh, and challenge goes with it. Excitement goes with it. Pleasure goes with it. That's dopamine. And that disappears after a while. Once familiarity sets in, familiarity means there's no danger anymore. You're pretty much in routine. You know each other. You feel safe with each other. You depend on each other. Well, that raises your serotonin. That gives you the comfort feeling, that ease feeling that, you know, you can come home. You don't have to go out all the time. Now you can just be comfortable at home. That's serotonin. So these are two forces that are kind of like opposite. Serotonin says relax. Dopamine says we got to get this done quick, quick. There's a fire. Got to put it out. Well, you get those hormones free because the new relationship, you know, you, you really, it's still new. So when the newness goes away, you don't get the free hormones that get produced in your body when dopamine goes up. When dopamine goes up in a man's body, his testosterone goes up. When dopamine goes up in a woman's body, estrogen goes up. If she feels safe, that's really key. That's why, you know, in the beginning of a relationship, you don't just go get connected with somebody you don't know. The man has to do things to say you're important to me and he gives you the three basic needs, caring, understanding, and respect. See, respect is where you kneel before someone and say, I pledge myself to you. I'm happy to do for you. Understanding is non-judgmental awareness which is a seeking to understand. You may not fully understand, but you seek to understand as opposed to that's ridiculous. You shouldn't be upset about that. There's no reason for you to be upset. How could you be bothered by that? Why would you want that? See, there's a questioning that when a man doesn't understand what women need and he doesn't understand women, he just assumes she's wrong and or she's upset about something. He interrupts her and says, oh, you should just do this. You should just do that. That's a classic uh, Mars Venus thing from men are from Mars is men interrupt with solutions when really what she needs is sometimes she might need a solution, but long before that, or his suggestion long before that, she needs to feel heard, understood, and to express what's going on inside of her because what happens, and this is why this is a very, very important one. When a woman can talk and feel safe that somebody's going to be understanding her, caring about what she says and respectful to her, which is what I do as a therapist. 
See, that's why women come to therapists is you can talk about what's inside of you, your thoughts, your feelings, your wishes, your hopes, your upsets, your problems, your fears. When you can share all that with somebody who's not going to immediately interrupt you or think less of you or, or give you a lecture, you shouldn't be that way. What happens is you feel safe to open up and begin to reflect inside of what's going on inside. And what happens is then you become more positive. You, your stress goes away. It's a basic need to be seen, heard, touched in a non-sexual way, understood with somebody who's empathetic and respected. So what we have in this, in this country is uh, now we have a massive amount of counselors and therapists, massive, more, more than doctors and nurses combined together. And 90% of the people who go to a therapist or a counselor or a coach or like that are women. Why? Because when you talk about what's inside of you and you feel safe, you will feel better. So you depend on that person for their, to feel safe and to feel better. And that's a major estrogen stimulator. So I learned all this because I used to think I was just a really good therapist and women liked me. Turned out statistically, women go and pay to have somebody talk. Men don't. They will pay me for a solution, a strategy, help them understand it better to do better. But women, basically in the beginning, the benefit they get from counselors if they go back again and again is they feel heard. They feel someone can relate to them, understand them, supportive of them. But the problem with that, while it does produce estrogen, it, most therapists don't have the education how many women are different. So women often feel the same pain over and over because they feel neglected because and they feel betrayed. Like, I've done so much for this relationship. Why haven't I gotten back? Well, what I help women to understand is how unknowing, not knowing men, how you unknowingly sabotage a relationship. So it's not like you're pure victim of the situation. You're both victims of each other. And when you have that idea, it's also very easy to find forgiveness. But when you don't know that you're part of the problem, it's hard to find forgiveness. And if you're holding something against your partner, you can start opening up in sex and that memory will come up and block you from allowing yourself to feel safe, open arms, opening your mind, your heart, and your body to this man. So that's on one level. But I've mentioned this peculiar thing that happens, different chemical reaction that occurs in a man. When he has sex with his wife, his the outcome, as opposed to a stranger or with himself or with uh, online pornography, when, when you have sex with your wife, your body will naturally, and this is, you know, for thousands of years, you know, this is our biochemical. This is automatic. This is controlled by your unconscious mind. Your body makes prolactin. And what prolactin does is it creates uh, in a man causes him to not be able to have sex for quite a while. And the more he loves the woman, that's called the refractory period. Basically, the refractory period means he's not really interested in sex for several days. And it's the more he's in touch with his feelings of love for her. Now, whenever you're feeling love, your estrogen levels are going higher and higher as a man. So, and naturally as men get older, their estrogen levels get high as well. The challenge for men is as they naturally become older, their estrogen levels increase because we have more wisdom and we have more love. Life gives us that wisdom and your estrogen levels go get higher. The key for men is to keep their testosterone levels high, higher than your estrogen. <laughs> Now, so I'm 70, very active sex life. My wife and I made love with great sex, all that. But if you tested my testosterone levels, they're 50% higher than when I was a young man. 
And it's the behavioral skills and the attitudes and the approach towards each other as couple that keep those hormones in a healthy place. Uh, most of my friends, <laughs> they're long gone. Go, oh, I, I don't care about sex anymore. I did it. I'm done it. I've been finished with it. Because you don't feel like you're missing something if, you, if, if you're not wanting it. But if you have testosterone as a man, you have a strong libido and you have a strong libido for your wife. If you have a low testosterone level, then it's often you have so much love for her. You care about her. Estrogen sort of pushes testosterone down unless she's building up your testosterone. He's building up his testosterone. You have to do something to keep these things up. So men will move as they get older. They're losing their motivation their excitement, the thrill of life, their libido. And that all has to do on a hormonal level with low testosterone. <coughs> Excuse me, a little sneeze there. <clears throat> Bless you. And what, what occurs is so that refractory period, ironically, after he makes prolactin because he loves his wife, it takes longer. So he's not that interested in sex. However, if he happens to uh, look at pornography. Anytime you have a woman showing herself sexually to a man, not modest, what that does to the primitive part of his brain is it produces dopamine. And the more, in a sense, the more dangerous it would be to look, the more uh, sexually illicit it is. You know, you driving through New York City, I remember you see in the buildings, you know, 10 feet tall, a, a woman looking like she wants to... Uh, just underwear she's wearing and she's ready to make love with you. Well, these images go into the subconscious mind and produce a huge amount of dopamine, whether you care about it or not. Uh, that dopamine will then inhibit prolactin. As soon as you uh, have prolactin, let's say I had a lot of prolactin and suddenly I got thrust into a very dangerous situation two days later, that would knock my dopamine, my prolactin down and I'd want to come home and have sex right away. So, but there's a natural dynamic here of monogamy. You know, people will say, you read all these books, everybody's saying that men are not naturally monogamous. We are. Uh, we basically, when you have love, suddenly we're no longer animals having sex only when women are in heat, which is when their estrogen levels are up, the female animal. But when a woman's levels go up anytime, he, can, he will feel desire for her, the woman he loves, if her estrogen is high, and there's been enough time for his testosterone levels to rebuild. The prolactin will create a, a, a distance before the testosterone comes back up. Now, I'm referring to two studies here, which are amazing. Nobody's heard of this stuff. Nobody put it together. It took me a long time to figure all this stuff out and put it together. But Italian studies showed the prolactin was produced. And that's why men have this recovery period. And then we also know that any sort of high dopamine stimulation, even coffee, for example, can inhibit the effects of prolactin. Because when a man has sex with a pornographer, with, in pornography, for example, no prolactin gets produced. So right away, later in the afternoon, he wants to do it again. Uh, he wants to do it. These teenagers, they want to do it three times a day. Uh, they're addicted to sex. It's an addiction, sex addiction. When you have sex without intimacy and love, then your body's designed, and this is where we are like animals. If you don't have love, then you just want to go out and have sex with anybody you can have sex with. And people say, oh, that's so natural. That's natural for animals, but not for loving people. If you have love, then that gives you a uh, freedom from lusting after any woman who's available to you. But there's things that can shortcut that, which is high dopamine stimulation. 
that will then cause a, an addiction to sex. Now, if you have a basically a healthy, healthy 25 year old man, he has sex and on Saturday night with his wife, if this is what the research shows, if he goes for six days without having sex and without masturbating, without having sex with himself, without doing porn, if he can go six days without ejaculating on the seventh day, when he wakes up, his testosterone will be 50% higher than his baseline. And it's that 50% higher than his baseline that gives a message to the woman that she's really, really special because the only time she ever felt so special is when he met her and the dopamine levels were high and, and it was 50% higher. So that's what women need. They need that message that I am loved. Some women go, I just don't feel loved. I don't feel loved. Well, part of it is your husband's masturbating uh, or he did porn or you had sex twice a week and everybody has such a pressure to have sex with twice a week. Now I didn't have that study, but I'm really good at following my own energy and my body, what feels right. And as a sex expert, got a PhD in it as sex education. So when, when people would say, oh, you know, you must have a lot of sex. I say, I have a great sex life. And they say, oh, you must have a lot of sex. How often do you have sex? Couples always say, how often are couples having sex? Well, usually couples are having sex twice a week, just enough to dampen your sex drive. This is so amazing. And there's a pressure on some to have it three times a week. And then there's some, some basically say, oh, this doesn't relate to my husband. You know, he wants sex every day. I said, yeah, he's addicted to sex. He's just, his baseline's going down, down, down until he's 45 and now he needs Viagra. <laughs> I could never, I don't need Viagra, I'll tell you that. Uh, it, it's such a dramatic shift if you learn not to have sex so much or to how to not having sex. If you stop having sex, also your testosterone goes down. If you have too much sex over time, you become, the man is addicted to sex, but then his test his testosterone goes down over time. The research about verifying that is that right now in this country where if a man is not in a relationship with his wife and, 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 and fulfilled in his sexual fulfillment with her, the whole culture is doing pornography. This is massive. They can't even find a study of men. Or, these studies are done in college. Usually they can't find a college student to be a control group a male who doesn't do pornography. Mm. And this is, this is all it will do one time. And now you're going to be more addicted to it. It's like cocaine. Your brain just doesn't forget. You see, you get a bigger hit of dopamine in the male brain. If you're having sex with a stranger rather than with your wife, with your wife, you you have the balancing of estrogen because you love her. That gives you your estrogen, which is love. And, and it's, it's comfort. It's ease. It's happy. It's joyful all those kind of joyful, loving feelings, warm and friendly, that's your estrogen. And testosterone is produced when you feel successful. Now you feel good when you're successful. You feel powerful when you're successful, but that's different from feeling happy and fulfilled and loving. Very, very different. And, and, and usually you can't say you can have one without the other. Certainly there's always a blend, just as in every man in every moment, there's a balance of his male hormones with his female hormones. But all mischief in men only occurs when their male hormone is low. And anger, irritation, annoyance happens when his testosterone's going down, but his estrogen's going high. So there you get, you know, this was the beginning of my research on hormones in men and women. I, you know, for 40 years, what is it? I think 40 years. 
I've been doing the research in gender differences. And it wasn't until I was reading an article about men and low testosterone levels about 30 years ago. And as men typically on average go down, not every man goes down. I don't, I go up, uh, but typically average, it goes down. And now it's going down more than ever. Now see something's going on in America now with all this porn addiction is proven to lower your testosterone. And even fantasizing and couples will always, you know, often sex therapists will recommend using fantasies to excite you. Never use a fantasy to excite you. It should be the connection between you and your partner should excite you through sensual touching. That's good. And kissing and, and being cuddling and being close until she feels aroused. Once a man has lost his interest, it's only her arousal that will bring it back in him. But once he loses interest or sex energy is going somewhere else, it's very hard for her to be aroused in his presence. So wherever you are on that spectrum of what's been going on, you can just start anew by following the simple pattern that I put forth. So I'm going to take a break because we don't have a visual here and I can't see your face. So <laughs> I'd like, no, I, I'd like I you love to, it. I, I'd like, like I you to... Uh, I'd like you to take a few moments to say what I've said that you love and what you like and any questions that have popped up in your mind before I go further. Oh, yeah. So, so good. I mean, nobody needs to hear me talk, but I, oh, they I want to hear you talk. And then, <laughs> yeah, I need uh, to hear you talk because, see, I've just been looking at my face this whole time. <laughs> I don't even know if you're listening. So go right ahead. Well, you're see, every all of my listeners know that I recorded my closet. And so it's really, you know, it's not it's not very professional recording studio here. So I always turn off my, my camera with guests. So I know it's hard to read cues. But um, first of all, I think people will be very surprised um, to hear that a healthy sexual relationship might mean or does mean sex one to two times a week. Is that, did I hear that or understand oh, that no, correctly? No, a, no, only once a week. This, oh, is, okay. this is the science. This is, this is done repeated over and over. Uh, a, a male with healthy testosterone levels. This is an athlete, actually. They're athletes. And they have sex on Saturday night with a partner they love. Okay. So then they have, a, it's a love relationship, not a stranger, not masturbation, not porn, but you have to know that's the group. So you make love and then you abstain from sex. Actually, you just have to abstain from ejaculation. Uh, one of the things in one of my advanced courses is how you can have sex sometimes without ejaculating. Now I mastered it. So I never ejaculate. I have orgasms to the end of the world, <laughs> but that's something more advanced. But the bottom line is you have make love with your partner. You're sharing, expressing love while you're having sex. If you if you do that, so this is just a regular guy. He's not even trained in this, but he's making love to his wife. Then he abstains from ejaculation for six days. It takes six days. On the seventh day, his testosterone level will be 50% higher. And see, has a huge difference on a woman's hormone level. If, if your husband's testosterone levels are 50% higher than what they've been all week, suddenly that gives a big boost, a pulse to your estrogen levels. See, he can pump up your estrogen levels, just as if you're doing something really fun in your life that you really love doing that can pump up his testosterone levels. This is biological. We're chemical. See, sex is not driven by your conscious mind. This is the unconscious mind. So we're manipulating our environment, the circumstances in our life in order to allow the unconscious brain to do what we want it to do. We want to feel libido. We want to feel arousal in the presence of our partner. We want to feel that connection. Now, I will say that that's for a young man at six, six. 
uh, days of abstinence of ejaculation. In their 30s and 40s, it can might be eight days because man's estrogen levels are naturally higher. By the time he gets to 50, 60, his estrogen levels are way, way higher. The recovery time could be nine days. So the key there is to find the right time for you at your age and your estrogen levels. But generally speaking, at least six or seven days of abstinence from ejaculation. But then having sex. Now, if you, they also found if you don't have make love once a week, then your testosterone levels never go back up to 50% until you start repeating this pattern for a while of having sex and then going six days without it and having sex six days after it. So if you have an actual monk, uh, for example, or someone who's just abstaining from sex, it's not going to keep, keep their levels up. You need to have the sexual experience uh, you know, all the hormones that make your, your, it causes your body, your mouth to have saliva. Okay. Your body starts having more saliva. Uh, there's a tendency to want to kiss your breathing first. The first part of arousal is natural increased breathing. Okay. You see that natural increasing of breathing and going with that. Now, a lot of, from my point of view, kind of silly exercises is couples will breathe together, but that's not the point. The point is arousal is when that automatic breath happens, just to be with that for a little while, as you cuddle and you kiss and you feel that arousal happening, don't rush to anything. And when a man rushes uh, to wanting the stimulation down south, that actually desensitizes the woman to a certain extent, is that whenever a man is more excited than the woman, it tends to make her less excited. See, this is all very interesting. It's like hot and cold. You got to balance the two of the, between the couple. You know, women describe it to me. Well, he gets so hot and excited, it's all over before I've even started. <laughs> you know, he has to learn how to slow down and be affectionate and be uh, and kiss. You know, I remember doing a, a talk on sex in Australia about 40 years ago. And we had people calling in and one Australian man, he was like really proud. He said, I got a great sex life. My, uh, you know, my wife and I, you know, we can do the whole thing in the commercial break of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> and clearly another woman I was on a talk show once and counseling them. And, and uh, I said, well, how, how long do you kiss? And, you know, well, she said, oh, we don't really kiss that much. I said, Wouldn't you like to kiss more? And she very meekly and shyly says, well, it would be a little nice. No, it's an imperative. You've got to, you've got to increase the saliva fluids in your kissing. And then it goes into the French kiss where you're, you know, long before you open up down South, you have to have more saliva in the mouth. You see, that's, that's, is all awakening. And then you start really gradually going down South, which is as you go towards the breasts, the breasts are very, very important to circle the breast for quite a while to increase circulation there and then go towards the nipple. As you go towards the nipple, what will happen if you're too direct, it doesn't happen, but you circle around increases blood circulation with kissing and loving and touching and all that. Then at a certain point, sucking on the nipple is a major oxytocin producer. See, the oxytocin is what allows women to breastfeed. Uh, it causes the milk to drop. So it's just a physiological response is when you suck on the nipples, the uh, oxytocin gets produced in her body. And oxytocin being produced in her body is a precursor to her body making more uh, estrogen. So then her estrogen levels will start going higher. Now, there is a flip side to all of this, which is if a woman's in a dangerous situation uh, and her life is dependent on a bad man uh, pleasing him, 
she can also have estrogen levels spike. So everything can be reversed, but that's the the dark side of, of sexual arousal. You know, you go into the S&M games that these people do, whatever is a create faux danger. So she can feel so overly dependent on her partner for her survival, for her protection, whatever. That's another backdoor way to produce estrogen without oxytocin, but then even them, they always have a safe word. So she does feel safe the whole time. But when you love someone, you're creating safety by touching them without demanding more. That means men, be patient, be, be not in a hurry. You got to slow it down. You, you know, it's like finding the balance. She's slow, you're fast. So you got to slow down. And as you slow down, she speeds up. That's how you find this sort of balance between the two of you. But as the nipples become more erect, that means her body's pumping in oxytocin. With oxytocin, now you can start going down south and you can have your, basically you're producing estrogen. Her body can go to estrogen as you suck on the nipples because first oxytocin, then comes estrogen. Now, as estrogen goes up, if you look at a woman when she's naturally ovulating and wanting to have sex, okay, that's going to be the natural outcome of when ovulate, when estrogen really goes really high, then uh, her testosterone levels will rise again. So now that you've got her estrogen levels up, her oxytocin levels up, you've been kissing and the saliva is increasing. Often that's when you feel a natural instinct to penetrate the tongue into the mouth, particularly for the woman should feel safety and not be like some kind of weird sexual thing for you want to put your tongue into his mouth. But that, that sense of penetrating his mouth with your tongue is actually the starting to rise of the testosterone in you. Then you have the rising of the uh, nipples. That's the oxytocin and the estrogen. Now you're going south if you're a man. Now you're touching, you're going down, touching her legs, touching you know the whole area uh, around her labia. That's the that's double set of lips. Okay, that's another set of lips that you gently move your hand around that whole area, your fingers around that area to find the clitoris. And basically, you, you want to take the fluid that comes out of her. If she doesn't have fluid coming out of her, then you're basically need to go back up north. <laughs> go, go north again and then start with the dimples, start with the kissing, start with the cuddling and slow it down. So now you can put your finger between the levia and you can feel a little bit of fluid, just a little bit. That's all it takes is a little, maybe there's gonna be a lot. That's great. She's already progressed a lot. What happens is that uh, lubrication, natural lubrication down South occurs as her estrogen levels increase. And, and also the stimulation of more, a little bit more testosterone is being produced in her body. So now there's the, what's called clitoral stimulation. You find the clitoris, you gently stimulate around it. It, it rises up, it becomes engorged a little bit like the nipples do. And, and you circle it and touch it gently. And then more and more you push on it and you have to be careful not to push too hard. And this could be 10, 15 minutes for some women. Why does it take so long? Because all day long, she's been making testosterone. See, that's a challenge for women today. It's hugely challenging for them because now they're doing, they're living in a world that didn't exist a long time ago. My mother, <laughs> You know, she, she didn't have a job outside the home. She raised the kids. We're a Christian family. But, you know, my dad made good living. So we live in a safe neighborhood. It's not like the neighborhoods today. It's not like the world today. I mean, who can just send your kids off to school and say, walk to school? We walk to school. It's a good half an hour walk to school every day. If you see a kid wandering off now, you'll get reported, you know. And, and also there was a country club down the street. She could just send us to the country club. You know, she also was able to hire someone to help with the house. 
uh, keep the house clean. She had six boys, one girl, and she was a happy wife. They were a happy couple because he was a good provider and she was doing what she wanted to do in life was be a mother until her children grew up. And then she had a little business and she didn't have to make money. You see, whenever you have to make money and you're a woman, even if you want to do it, you all want to do it because you're on your male side. But when you have to do it to pay the bills, that's testosterone producing. You have to have skills to come back to your female side. And I haven't really talked about those a lot, but there is mainly has to do with conversation and communication. Same thing you get out of a therapist. You can get out of your husband very easily by saying something as simple as, honey, I've had a stressful day today. I'd like to talk about it for only 10 minutes. Would you just not say anything and listen? I know it sounds <laughs> odd, but he's, I don't have to do anything. Okay. You'd say, yeah, it'll make me very happy. And then you basically take some time to do some of the processes I teach in the book about sharing the same emotions a therapist would have you share. And then coming back always to positive feelings. So he feel like he did something useful. But the one catch is if you're in my therapy office, you can share anything you want about your husband. But when you're with your husband, you never share anything negative about him. You see, you don't complain to your husband and knocks his testosterone down. We simple tests of this, you know, when, you know, we just had Super Bowl here and if it was your team that won, you could see everybody jumping out of their sheets and you saw the team that lost, you know, their heads are slumped down. <laughs> Bummer. You know, that's low testosterone. They measure this. Your team wins. It's high testosterone. You also know that when another big study that was done of single men have the highest testosterone on average. Now I'm higher than the single men, but I'm married and so forth because I use these relationship skills. But as an average in our culture, Single men have the highest testosterone. When they get in a committed relationship, they start to have love in their life. That means their estrogen levels are starting to rise more. Uh, and, and estrogen is depending on someone to feel good. Testosterone is not depending on anybody to feel good, just depending on yourself. So this is a single man, you know, he's got to take care of all his needs. And now you got all these single women, all being like men, depending on themselves and not having enough room in their life to depend on someone else for something else. Okay. So, you know, we, I depend on my wife for love. Are you kidding? She brightens up my life. It's amazing. You know, I used to be single. I was, actually, I was a monk, celibate monk for nine years and I was happy, but my life was a, the amazing life it could be with a woman loving you and you earning that love, doing things to get that love. So I depend on her, but I depend on myself first to do the things that will help her feel her happiness and appreciation for me. Because that's what men need to feel for testosterone is they need to feel independent. They need to feel... Uh, confident. They need to feel successful. They need to feel in their relationship. They need to feel that I know what to do to provide the safety and security for you. And how do I know I'm doing that? How do I know I'm successful in a relationship? Is she appreciates me? She accepts me and she trusts me. And how do I know that she appreciates and accepts and trusts me? The most powerful way is she's interested in having sex with me. That's like, once you get over this hurdle and you start desiring sex for a man, there's no more powerful elixir in the world that will make him think about you and love you more and more and more. He's so flexible. He's so fluid. He's so motivated if he's getting that message. Now there's other ways to give those messages. Granted, you know, at a certain point, you know, I, I saw my parents' relationship. I, there's a point I think where they stopped having sex. Uh, they had seven children. They were very romantic and sexual in the beginning. And after you know, all the kids are grown up, you know, they just loved each other. I doubt they continued having sex. And that was sort of the norm in those days is that you didn't expect sex to last your whole life. And that is certainly the norm now. It's just people kind of go, bummer. I heard other people are having sex and enjoying it. Why can't I? Well, I'm telling you how you can do it is you have to have the right skills. 
And you can't just have sex on a man's schedule when you want to do it. You really have to make sure you don't do it too much and you have to make sure that you do it regularly, which is sometimes you can go for a month or so. It's going to take a while for his, his, his hormones to get going and for her hormones to get going again. So you want to keep that rhythm. And so what do you do if you want to reignite your sex life and you haven't been having sex? Well, you start. And the way you start is we're just getting bad and we're going to kiss and cuddle. That's all. And say nice things. See, people don't always associate talking, talking with sex. And one of the key things, and this is one thing is missing from my book, Mars, Venus in the Bedroom, is the importance of talking during sex. Uh, it was at a stage in my marriage where I didn't know how great that could be. It's just simply to say, well, narrate what's going on when you're having sex is, is to say, oh my gosh, this is so great. I love you so much. You're the only woman in the world for me. I never want to be with anybody else but you. I love you. You're the sweetheart of my life. I love you beyond the moon and through the skies. This is so great. I love you. Oh, you feel so good. You know, find out what phrases really work for your partner and you can tell your partner those phrases so they can say them because we want to keep you in your uh, in your uh, mind, in your heart and in your body, all three together. Uh, this is to improve communication, also making sounds, uh, not feeling constrained that it's not proper to make sounds uh, for a woman to be free in her expressions and then for men as well. But there's a balance there. The man should not be overwhelming the woman with his sounds of pleasure and delight. <laughs> you know, I'm very lucky at my house. Uh, I have three acres around my house. Otherwise people would be calling the police. <laughs> <laughs> really see it's all about being uninhibited, free, you know, not being, not having to contain, but to open up, but you can't just go from inhibited wearing clothes out in the world, solving problems, whatever, to go all the way over the, the mindlessly opening your heart and just, feeling safe and making sounds and expressing yourself and being playful. These are the, this is as we become more comfortable and at ease, we can do that. So it took a while for me and my marriage to get to that point. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a matter of becoming more relaxed about the whole thing. But what we did do is we talked about sex at times when we weren't having sex to say, what are the things you like best? And what is it you prefer? And how can I, how can I know you like this? And, so often for me, for example, is, is I really didn't like someone telling me, don't do that, do this. Okay. I, most men don't like that. But, and so women know that, so they don't let him know, as opposed to you can silently move his hand where you want it to be. And then not fully silently. And as his hand goes there, go, oh, <laughs> let him know, ooh, this is even better, as opposed to that's not working. Another one of my fun things, although well, tons of fun things I do in my course on secrets of great sex. But one of them is uh, uh, for men, the formula is if something gets a response from her, a positive response from her, like, mm, ah, ah, anything like that, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, and repeat it until you get no response. Men do the opposite. If they get a response, they go, okay, I got that one. Now, where do I go? <laughs> I got Check. That. Where do I go? It's like on to the next, you know? But actually, so you can guide a man in the whole journey without sort of being the boss because it is fun to feel him, him sort of guiding himself, but you have to, he guides himself by knowing what's working and what's not. And it changes, you know, sometimes she's in the mood for more kissing, more touching of the breasts, whatever, but you know, I'm, I'm against the, the go-to of using lubrication. Uh, when I was younger, you know, we would do quickies and whatever, which is, uh, you certainly need lubrication there. And, but after a couple of years of quickies, whenever we want to do, I, uh, 
really was very boring to me. <laughs> I mean, I want to make love. So, so another important thing is for a man never to feel rejected sexually, but without having to have all the sex he wants to have. Uh, if, if he's addicted to sex, wanting more sex. And so what you do is you, he says, oh, let's make love. He says, oh, that would be so much fun. Now we could just do a quickie or, you know, we could we, give me some time to get ready and we could do it in a few days, you know, and, and I'll be really ready and we'll really enjoy it a lot more. And so then he'll go, oh, I'll go with the quickie. That's what I did. <laughs> but then after really just a couple of years, I went, the last thing I want is a quickie. I want to experience her opening up to me, enjoying our oneness together. So it's a, it's a journey of exploration. So I'm not a big fan of quickies anymore. But what I do say is if many times a man loses his libido because he's almost feel like he has to beg for sex or he's always saying ask for sex, he's not getting it. So what you can do is give him the choice. You can say, look, honey, I, oh, you want to have a quickie? That sounds great. I always have a positive response. So you want to have sex? That sounds great. I know right now it might take me a few days to open up be, to really enjoy it. But if you want to do it now, we can just do it now. And I'll just lie there <laughs> and then you pick. And, and, and I remember the first time my, my wife said to me, so I can just lie there and have no response. And you're not going to expect me to have an orgasm. And I said, yeah, honey, that sounds okay. <laughs> and later on, it's like, not for me. Because see, as I learned my, myself as a man, I even learned something that most men still don't know. And it was about seven years into our marriage where I learned this, is what makes sex really great. And sometimes, you know, if you're walking through the garden, you, there's a lot of flowers there, but you won't see them unless somebody points them out, particularly if you're a man. Unless you're money, you make money by growing those flowers, you'd see them. So you have to have, sometimes have things pointed out to you. And one of the things Bonnie pointed out to me was very, very sweet in that we were dating and then we started making love and got married and all this stuff. And, and, and sex was great. You know, it was great sex. And then seven years later, I was, you know, sex is great. And sometimes, you know, wonderful. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's okay, but it's satisfying, you know, you have your ups and downs with it. But so it was one of those times seven years later, and it was just great sex. And afterwards I felt like Superman. And I said, wow, that was fantastic. That was really great. And this pause. And I said, you know, honey, that was as good as it was in the beginning. And, and she didn't say anything. I said, don't you think? And she said, actually, I thought that was much better than in the beginning. And I thought to myself, well, well you're faking it in the beginning. And, and I said, uh, but I, instead I did my Mars Venus skill. I said, well, help me understand that better, which is your magic go-to phrase, man, always when women talk, help me understand that better. And then when it seems like there's nothing more to say, you say, well, tell me more. I, so you fully understand it. And then, when she's done with that, you say, well, what else? So you're always inviting conversation from her. And I know a lot of men will say, oh, if I did that, she'd talk forever. I said, no, she won't. Women actually over talk only because they don't feel they're being heard. So if you actually put some effort into hearing uh, and being there without interrupting or trying to fix, it doesn't take that long. And, it, and it's very interesting. I always find it very interesting where she comes from. So here we are seven years later and... I said, that was the best ever. And the best is, that was as good as it was in the beginning. And she said, actually, it was much better in the beginning. It's much better today than in the beginning. And so I said, help me understand that better. And she said, John, so sweet. John, we've been married seven years and you've seen the best of me and you've seen the worst of me and you still adore me. That's what makes sex the best. Aww. It was so sweet. And that is so sweet. And that was one of the key 
awakenings for me, it's a big part of my teaching now, which is that the reason men want sex so much, you see women, you have so much estrogen, that's softness, okay? That's responsiveness, that's reactivity, all that softness. You, you can feel, there's so many places where you can feel love. But when you're a man, the higher your testosterone levels are, the less estrogen you tend to have until you mature and grow and find love and balance. So as I mentioned, independent men have the highest testosterone. Men in committed relationships have the next highest. As soon as a man gets married, his testosterone levels drop again because his estrogen went up. And when he has children, he loves them even more love in his life. His estrogen goes even higher as testosterone goes down. So the men with the on average, the men with the lowest testosterone are married men. And then as they age, they all go down. But mine went up because I use these relationship skills. You see, it's about consciously using uh, styles of communication, styles of behavior, and what you do in the bedroom and what, what you don't do in the bedroom. And one thing you don't do is have more ejaculations. If you're a man, you just, you're always going to be at your baseline. She needs to have that high estrogen level because women start to question, does he really love me? You know, they say, where's the man I fell in love with? Why did he change? Well, we just don't have that spark anymore. You know, I guess it just doesn't come back. It does come back. If you can bring him back to that, if he can make, get, bring that testosterone back and she can bring that estrogen level back without the newness. And what does that is polarity. Polarity means when you're together in your relationship, there's a place where he is more masculine and you're more feminine. See, that's the whole thing. You're more feminine. That means you're more estrogen. You have more dependence in it. You need him more than he needs you. He needs himself to get your love and you depend on him for that love. And, but as you become more conscious and women are more independent, then they have a new ability. You can be on your male side and learn to also be on your female side simultaneously. And that's the skills I teach in Beyond Mars and Venus. That's called learning how to ask for what you want in a language that motivates a man to do it rather than the naive thought that men should just do it. <laughs> if he loves me, he'll just do it. And one of the assumptions, I'm just finishing a course with my daughter, Lauren, at MarsVenus.com, where you have all this free courses we got. You know, it's wonderful. Uh, at at MarsVenus.com, uh, this, this course, uh, I'm doing a new one, which is called What Makes You Most Attractive to the Opposite Sex. And there's, uh, I start out with one of the biggest misconceptions in the growth of a relationship is that women are men. For men, their expectation, unrealistic expectation, that his partner will always be happy. You see, it's a natural thing to go in the waves of happiness and less happy, more happy, less happy, more happy. You ride the waves. And if you don't, if you expect more than that, men, then you'll tend to make it worse. So let's say a woman's not happy today because she had to do X, Y, and Z. And he says, well, honey, you don't have to do that. Do this, this, this. He's trying to talk her out of being unhappy or disappointed or frustrated or worried. He's going to try to talk her out of that rather than help me understand that better. Tell me more. And what else? See, if she can talk, she's back in the therapist's office producing estrogen because when a woman can talk safely, it's a major estrogen stimulator. When her estrogen starts to rise again, there's less to worry about. Your mind doesn't fixate on problems. It fixates on everything's okay. It's amazing phenomena, which we've learned in therapy. However, I want to mention that therapy has its drawbacks. Is that if you go to a therapist to talk about how you feel, and after you've done that, you feel better, 
if the therapist doesn't educate you now, you now know <laughs> you're feeling loving and good. You're not going to beat yourself up. Now your therapist has to help you understand what you're doing wrong. So one of the things women often do wrong is they don't share their feelings. And when they do, they share them about their partner to their partner, as opposed to you can share negativity about other things and ask your partner to listen. That will produce just as much estrogen and you'll feel better. And then there's less to complain about your relationship. And then one other thing women do is complaining. Anytime you complain, you just knock down that guy's testosterone level, which stops his motivation. So the misinterpretation that women have of men is in the beginning, you feel so loved because a man is so motivated to please you. Well, once he's pleased you, that motivation goes away. You have to learn how to continue motivating him. And <clears throat> historically, women didn't have to keep a man motivated. They just wanted him to have a good job and come home. <laughs> that was it. Culture motivated him in that. And that was called being married. You know, you couldn't have sex. You couldn't have sex unless you got married. And you couldn't get married unless you had a job. So that's what motivated men. It kept you motivated because you can't stop working. The money doesn't come. You got to keep working. So that motivates him is he has to do that. And if he doesn't do that, his wife's going to be unhappy and there's going to be no sex. Sex is one of the most powerful motivators in men. You just can't imagine it, women. His sex center in his brain is twice as big as yours. It's a major factor in what motivates men, whether they're conscious of it or not conscious of it. But we don't want to be monkeys, animals just driven by sex drive. We want to be in harmony with our sex drive, which is to use that energy to experience greater love. And that's what I learned that day when Bonnie said that. You've seen the best of me and the worst of me and you still adore me. I went, yeah, there was so much love in that making love. We're actually making love. And why is it so potent is that when men have testosterone, <clears throat> they have less emotion. They have less feeling. So, you know, think of the, you know, these, these ancient warriors who go off to battle, you know, they're all packed muscle. They don't have any emotion. You know, you can't have emotion and go into battle. You can't have fear. Fear will hold you back. You have to be fearless. So basically you numb yourself. Testosterone numbs you to your emotions. Love is an emotion. It's you connecting with your partner's feelings in service to her. And men feel the most love when they're appreciated by others. That awakens his ability to feel love. So he has that love. He felt it in the beginning when that, when that dopamine was there and his testosterone really went way up. So that helps him when his testosterone goes way up through relationship with a woman, that means his estrogen goes up along with it. So that's the whole key is to get your estrogen up while your testosterone's up, where you're feeling successful and providing happiness to your family, to the loved one in your life, to the woman in your life, then your estrogen levels go higher. But you've got to feel successful. Otherwise, you'll be the average man in a marriage whose testosterone levels go lower and lower because <clears throat> he doesn't feel successful in providing the happiness. But part of that is men have the unrealistic expect expectation that if she's unhappy, then I have failed. That's what I teach men is it's a woman's job to be happy. It's your job to make her happier. And it's your job to make not make it worse. <laughs> Women can find <laughs> their happiness, but you have to know how to support them so that they don't so you're not making them worse. You know, when a woman's upset and a man argues with you or gets mad at you, he thinks he's winning the argument. No, he just shut her down. You know, you can't yell at your partner. That's another thing. You have to, you know, and maybe maybe man has done it in the past and he can say now that look, I heard John Gray talk, I didn't realize it. 
you know, all my male role models would yell. And the, the weakest thing a man can ever do is raise his voice. He's suddenly like an animal. Uh, if you raise your voice high, it's threatening to women. You're using your anger to manipulate, seeking dominance through violence. It shuts her down. And so and for women, the flip side of that is whether you're yelling or not, just complaining and disapproving and all this stuff just pushes his testosterone down. So we have to learn these new ways to lovingly communicate our needs and ask for more and how to get more. And this is an advanced science. This is new stuff. And the more we have that outside the bedroom, it's easier in the bedroom. But because you want me to focus a bit more on sex today, I did focus more on sex. You know, if you're having love outside the bedroom for it to grow, you've got to make love. You've got to have a great sex life and you can learn the skills to do it. I love that. And I, I think this just helps us be more aware of our energy well, in the bedroom and outside the bedroom. Some of these behaviors that we have, you know, like you said, kind of this have to energy and women can, will knock down their estrogen. And, um, you know, I guess if you're, if you're an appreciation energy, that's going to increase your husband's testosterone, just these different energies and, you know, and being aware, just being aware of that and that it, it can suck the hormone out of us or, or breathe life into it. And we can, when when, when men, amazing. It's so the opposite, you know, when a man marries a woman, he thinks, well, now I've done all that dating stuff. I don't have to do that anymore. I just have to have a good job, make money. That should give me lots of points. No, that gives you one point. You bring her one flower, you get one point. Give her 50 flowers, you get one point, uh, maybe two. That's it. You have to learn as men, it's the little things, four hugs a day. You're reassuring, I love you. You're beautiful. Oh, you got your hair done. Oh, you're late. Now, that's okay. No problem. You're the man. You're the answer man. You see, in terms of your attitude, you're not impatient. You're generous. You're kind. You're understanding. You're respectful. But you also take your alone time. You can't, many men who's, sort of start out super romantic. They're the ones who end up feeling all this resentment and their feelings get hurt and whatever, because they are more feeling, but they don't have enough testosterone uh, to maintain a steady mood of positivity. So men need to have their time together and then they have to have their cave time. They come out of the cave. Mistake women make is when he goes to his cave, they go in after him in the cave, try to get him out, ask him questions. They take it personally. They get feel hurt because he needs his alone time. He has to have alone time to rebuild testosterone. Women need talking time, sharing time in order to rebuild their estrogen. So a little simple example of this is counseling one couple. And I still counsel couples. It's wonderful to do this. But mainly I teach my seminars and create courses online. But the this, uh, what is it? The, the uh, I was about to think about a couple that I thought maybe I shouldn't share their story. So I'll pass on that one. <laughs> there are so many interesting things. But so, so well, what I'm hearing you say is that we need to, that women need to plan girl trips so we can be together and talk and raise our estrogen. <laughs> yes. Anything you do with other women, because see, you feel safe. You can undress and it's not sexual. You can express your thoughts and nobody cares. You know, they relate to it. They relate to everything that you're not being interrupted. You don't have to edit yourself. That's pure estrogen. That's pure oxytocin and a, and a certain degree uh, it's actually more progesterone stimulating. It complicates okay. the story here, but being with your girlfriends produces a lot of progesterone, but it also helps produce oxytocin. So if you're in the phase of, of needing more estrogen, you'll also be able to instinctively go towards things that you love to do uh, that give you something. So there, there, but girl time is something very important. Once you've had your ovulation time, the full moon, or after you've, you're, you're around 13 days after your period, 
now you want to make sure you're getting estrogen and progesterone. And that's fun time. That's hanging out with the girls, going on a girl trip. And it doesn't all have to be so exact. But what I do is I point out the directions you go. And we have a, a special six, uh, six week program at my website called How to Get Your Me Time that my daughter put together is for women only. She's, you'll see her at my website. She's smarter than me. And it's a great program. She talks about the you time, me time, we time system. Now we time is estrogen stimulating. Me time is progesterone stimulating. And you time, that's where you're serving other people. That's your testosterone production. And the same thing has to happen when I was talking about going down a woman's body <laughs> is that the different parts of the body stimulate more one hormone than the other. When you get to the clitoris, uh, after you get a little bit of responsiveness down south with your finger towards in, towards the vagina, just very gently, you don't want to go in more than you're welcome, but just pull out a little liquid, a little saliva in a sense, comes out of there, the fluid, bring it up to the, the clit and stimulate that. Now, when you're stimulating the clitoris, that's producing testosterone. That creates her desire. And then often, so many couples are just going to do that, and she'll have an orgasm doing that. Uh, there's more to it than just the clitoral orgasm. It's to just get enough clitoral stimulation in order to uh, allow the vagina to produce more lubrication. And now it's time to put the uh, penis in. Now, when the penis goes in, most men just push all the way in. Don't do that. You, you need to tease her around the rim. It needs to be stimulated. Every part of the vagina needs to be gradually stimulated as opposed to going all the way in. And that will also cause men who have a tendency to premature ejaculate. They will ejaculate very quickly if they just go all the way in. It's too much stimulation. Now, some men who have higher testosterone, less emotion, less feeling, uh, they can go all the way in, but that's too fast for her. He just doesn't have the sensitivity to know he's getting too much energy there. So you go in about an inch and a half and then you have the G spot. And if she's properly stimulated up to that, the G spot will rise up just like a little erection, like the clitoris. You don't touch the clitoris much unless it's already starting to rise up with blood flow on the backside of the clitoris inch and a half in it's like the size of a quarter. It has a, a rough, rough edge to it. It's kind of like a, a roughness and the rest of the vagina is very smooth. Well, that now needs to be touched with a come hither movement with your finger if you're doing finger for a while or if you're doing your penis, just not going all the way deep until you're going, you know, to that. You can have a whole orgasm there and then you can go a little bit deeper inside and you go to the E spot. These are all spots that wake up. They wake up greater sensitivity. Then she has an orgasm there or an orgasmic feeling. And then the cervix actually begins to move down. They photograph this in multi-orgasmic women. Literally, it comes down to be touched the tip of the penis. And then it's more orgasmic for her. Uh, and then there's edges around the cervix. You know, there's all these places that sort of wake up and need stimulation for her to experience the highest level of excitement and fulfillment that she can experience. And I think it's an ongoing journey, you know, it just got better and better for us. Part is I learned more, but two, her body was able to wake up in those areas. And we, we shouldn't just look at that as the only answer because to a great extent, uh, vaginal stimulation, clitoral stimulation, sexual arousal is dampened by the suppression of emotion. It's literally pushing the lid on your emotions all the time, pushing it down, pushing it down. And uh, it's a, you know, you're pushing down emotions if you have food cravings just to keep everybody, you know, this is what our food cravings are. We're just, you know, we're addicted to carbohydrates because they burn off our emotions. This is uh, 
when you're craving for food is you're feeling bored, you're feeling dissatisfied, you're feeling agitated. It comes across as the experience of hunger. Uh, so if, as long as you eat, the energy of emotion gets used up digesting your food. So you feel this, you feel full, you feel, but really what you were feeling before was empty and emptiness can be experienced as an emotion. And if you push down emotions, then you just experience emptiness. I need to eat. So that's another way of, of managing our emotion. Or the importance of emotion is not to numb out by overeating and not to numb, um, numb out on other overstimulation. What you do is you just on a daily basis, you know, just have a relationship where you, and if you don't have a husband and your woman, talk to a therapist, talk to a friend, journal a lot, talk to God. And I have to say, I'm always happy talking to a Christian audience because they believe in God. And that is one of the most powerful things to stimulate estrogen in a woman is faith to know that you're not alone. That's what S produces estrogen. When you know that there's a higher power you can depend on, but you don't want the higher power just to be, well, you have God as a higher power, but you need to have a partner on the planet who you can depend on for, for practical things down here, so to speak. And you depend on yourself. You depend on food, everything that you depend on something will raise estrogen. The problem is if you depend on things that are not healthy, it still raises estrogen, but it has a negative effect in your body. So it feels good. So when you're depending on food, eating all that food, you are making some estrogen, which gives you comfort, but at the same time you're overweight and that's not good for you. And it's just like for men, when they do pornography, uh, they masturbate that for that brief period of time, maximum six minutes, usually two minutes. Uh, that brief period of time, his testosterone levels spike. So he gets to feel alive. We want to feel alive. These are the hormones of youthfulness, of vitality, of aliveness. So he gets to feel that. And then his testosterone goes right back down the baseline and gradually gets less and less and less, which now we statistically, the average 20 year old male uh, has 20% less testosterone on average than all 20 year old males 20 years ago. So this is a decline in our society. This is all this gender neutrality because truly their hormones are out of balance. They don't know whether they're a boy or a girl. And now the problem with all of this, this whole direction that they're doing is encouraging, you know, in the early classes, they're saying, you know, you can be in the, there's no he or she, <laughs> you can't say there's boys and girls. You can be this side or that side. And trying to define your sexual identity. We already know your sexual identity. If you're a boy, you're a boy. If you're a girl, you're a girl, period. Yeah. And if you're a boy who has leans towards the female, all you do is you take that boy into the woods with a lot of other boys who don't have that problem. And they learn how to be boys because they need to reprogram their brains, to rewire their brains. Because what's happened today is due to toxicity, GMOs, toxicity, pesticides, and also the uh, the drinking water from plastic bottles all the time, uh, what will happen, these are called endocrine disruptors. That means they interrupt your hormones. And if your mother is pregnant and she's had those, uh, it's so horrible what's going on here. The baby will born, the brain doesn't develop the way it normally would develop. What happens is uh, women who have a lot of endocrine disruptors in pregnancy, the girls feel more like boys and the boys feel more like girls. And then they just lean in that direction too much, the opposite direction than they normally would. Then, and the same thing happens as well right now as you're eating your foods today. Uh, if you're a woman and you're being exposed to pesticides, 
These are called xenoestrogens. They bind with your estrogen receptors. And when that happens to a woman, it makes her feel, I don't need a relationship. She goes to her independent side. And uh, that's because the brain is getting the message. You have plenty of estrogen, so you don't need to make more because it's a relationship that stimulates the production of estrogen. Now for males, when those estrogen recept xenoestrogens from the environment come into the body, they act, they bind with the estrogen receptors saying that you have plenty of estrogen and therefore your testosterone goes down because historically in our wiring, if a male has plenty of estrogen, it's usually because he's, he is a beta male and not an alpha male and a beta male should not make more alpha, should not make more testosterone. Otherwise you'll be competitive and fight to be on top and lose your life. So for survival, the mechanism is when man's estrogen levels go very high, his testosterone tends to go very low. And we see this all over the place. If you look at a, what traditionally was called a playboy, uh, now they call them players. These are guys that just want to go out and have sex. They're not interested in a relationship. Well, this is what the classic playboy was. His father had a lot of money. So he has very low testosterone, high estrogen, because he depends on his father for money rather than himself. And these Playboys typically could not make a commitment. Were always couldn't maintain sexual attraction to their wives. They usually became alcoholics and drug addicts, and they also created suicide. They were irresponsible, and that's a playboy. A playboy just wants to play. Now that's high estrogen, low testosterone. And what's happening now is a whole generation of boys just wanting to play video games. Just play, play, play. Where's the responsibility? It's their testosterone is twenty percent lower than before. So there's ways, my books, I teach, what are the behaviors and strategies to increase testosterone and estrogen in girls? And a little girl, you know, right now in some schools, 38% of the girls think they're bisexual and they don't want to be with guys. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, and basically we have a huge epidemic of absent fathers. You see what happens when a mother doesn't feel you can trust a father, the, the girl goes, can't trust guys. So I can only feel safe with girls. And boys end up feeling I'm untrustworthy. I'm untrustworthy. My mother doesn't trust the man. Then I, I can't be like my father, you know, so I should be more like my mother. And so his on his female side. So in many different directions, we're all going the wrong direction. And this is the first book, biologically based understanding of this role reversal of gender reversal, which is just devastating our lives and our relationships. And that whole society, if you follow the general TV narrative, the school narrative, the university narrative, it's going in the complete opposite direction. We need to begin to experience peace through oneness in diversity. Mm, that brings it right back around to where we started. And I love it. I mean, we have just scratched the surface today, everybody. I mean, his, the book, the new book, Beyond Mars and Venus, um, is wonderful, and it goes into so much more of this, of the uh, the behaviors. And I mean, I think everybody needs to photocopy page one ninety three about the woman's cycle and what she needs for each stage. It's just, it's amazing. Um, I know you have so many resources on your website um, that everybody can can visit in your your courses and your seminar at marsvenus.com. Um, I'm so grateful you were here before you go. If I can ask you our two anchor questions very quickly. And the first is what is your anchor meal, which is your go-to healthy meal? I'm really curious to hear what your answer is to this. Oh, I like eggs and rice. <laughs> eggs and rice oh, together. Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah. Eggs and rice together. 
and uh, it's like a Chinese rice. They they put uh, eggs and rice and some veggies in it and uh, fried rice. It's called at the Chinese restaurants. I like that a lot. Uh, I like soup. I'm really into chicken soup. Uh, my go-to meal is uh, I just today had a, a go-to meal, a salad with avocado, tomato, and olive oil dressing uh, with a little vinegar. Nice. I love fish. I'm a big fish person as well. Uh, I'm also uh, once or twice, probably once a week, I have a good steak, uh, ribeye, medium. <laughs> love it. Love all those things. Okay. And finally, what is your anchor mushrooms? I'm thinking all my favorite <laughs> sauteed mushrooms are really good. <laughs> Delicious. I love sauteed mushrooms on a steak. Um, okay. How about your favorite Bible verse or one that is presently speaking to you? Okay. My favorite Bible verse is, I'm not always getting my quotes right, so forgive me for those that go right with the exact quote, but it's, uh, when your heart is open, God's will is written in your heart. Uh, I love that. That's beautiful. Dr. Gray, I can't thank you enough for taking the time with us today um, to to open this, kind of blow open this topic um, that I don't think is discussed enough. I know it will help a lot of people and I would direct them to your website, like I said, for more information um, and follow you in social media. Is, is there anywhere specific that they should go beyond Mars and Venus? I think, I think don't waste your time on social media. Although I do have a social media site just because it's uh, some way people can reach me. I don't believe in social media. I think it's part of destroying the society today. What's going on there is hyperstimulation desensitizes the brain and it creates this creates ADD. So I'm yeah. a big fan of that, but my website, marsvenus.com, right on the front page, please, everybody take our free course, uh, how to get everything you want in your relationships. It's so practical. If you could notice the way I talk, I kind of go all over the place because I've written 28 books and it all just pops in my head. But my daughter edits me down when we make these courses. So they're, any of my books are very systematic, one step after another. And that course is beautiful. It summarizes everything we said today. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week. And I will talk to you soon. Hi, everyone. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.